Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We'd like to thank everyone for uh, giving us such great support on our last uh, episode. Uh, we really appreciate it, both on, uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, we have some exciting guests coming up uh, after reading week. Um, we won't spoil anything, but we just wanted to thank you guys for the support so far. Today, we're going to be talking about liver transplants and alcoholism and the views that people have and the views that the court have actually taken because there have been cases brought forward to challenge the charter on the issue. All right, so the reason we want to talk about this today, uh, there was a recent decision by the Ontario Superior Court of Justice uh, after a lengthy trial um, and it had to deal with the dichotomy between liver transplants and alcoholics and should alcoholics uh, receive liver transplants as if they weren't, uh, as if they were just a regular person who didn't have uh, this terrible addiction. And uh, before we get into the real details of the case, uh, the case centers around the disease known as alcohol hepatitis, uh, which is more f- informally known as alcohol alcoholism. Uh, we have Dr. Uh, Andrew Cameron from the Johns Hopkins uh, School of Medicine, who later on did a study, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Uh, But he does an excellent job of explaining uh, what the disease is and what kind of uh, treatments there are for the disease. Alcoholic hepatitis is a serious medical condition in which a patient may experience rapid acute liver failure in response to recent intake of alcohol. It's really a spectrum of diseases. It can be mild, but in some scenarios, it can be life-threatening. Now, there's also a little segment here that he goes on to talk about. Uh, He talks about the possible uh, treatments that you can uh, get as an alcoholic. Uh, Although they're few, he does a good job of explaining that as well. Well, unfortunately, the treatment options are very limited. We give patients IV steroids, and some of them respond and improve. Unfortunately, a large percentage of patients with alcoholic hepatitis do not improve with steroids, and we can only provide them supportive medical care and hope they spontaneously improve. Not all do. So at the end there, very important how he talks about not all patients who undergo these types of treatments uh, come out of it uh, in a positive way. Uh, And this is why the Ontario Superior Court of Justice decision is very uh, important to the the spectrum that's going on right now between alcoholism and liver transplants. So just to give you an overview of the most recent case that we were able to come across, um, it actually takes place in Ontario. Um, The relatives of two men who were denied potentially life-saving liver transplants because of their alcoholism Uh, can now press their constitutional fight against a hospital for its refusal to perform the surgery. The two men were Mark Williams and Mark Selkirk. They ended up dying of the liver disease related to their alcohol consumption. On November 7th, 2010, Selkirk was admitted to the Toronto General Hospital with acute alcoholic hepatitis. Without a transplant, he would die, but he could not be added to the wait list until he'd been absent from six months, meaning that he wasn't sober for six months yet, so he couldn't be put onto the liver transplant list. When his wife offered to donate her lo- a lobe of her liver, she was told the same rule applied, which 
is an interesting an interesting aspect to this. If someone offers their liver and you wouldn't have to be on the transplant list, they, they would do it. But in this case, because he wasn't sober yet, they didn't actually let his own wife mm-hmm. give him liver. Which is ridiculous to me because it's his own wife. They have such a special bond, obviously, together. But And once again, like if someone was sick and you weren't even on the wait list, but a specific person offered to give you their liver, you th- regardless of the circumstances, they're allowed to do that, mm-hmm. right? Um, either way, according to her lawsuit, the wife in this case was told that alcoholics just waste the organ, they'll only drink again, and doctors would not want to waste the money on the surgery. Her husband wouldn't live long enough to be alcohol-free for six months, and subsequently, two weeks later, Selkirk died of multiple organ failure, and he was only 52 years old. So a recent decision by the Superior Court of Ontario shot down the previous policy of previous policy and practice of requiring recipients to be sober of six months because it was a violation of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Yeah, under Section 15, which is the Equality Rights section, um, the University Health Network, uh, which is responsible for the liver transplants and uh, performing the surgeries, uh, they argued that the charter didn't apply to them because they are a private entity and they were not part of the government. Uh, Justice Shrek of the Ontario uh, Superior Court, uh, he ruled that the charter will apply in cases where actions of private entity are related to a specific government program or policy. And in this case, the specific government program would be the uh, delivering of health to uh, people of Ontario, which is a very important part of the of not only the Canada Health Act federally, but the Ontario uh, Ontario's right to provide health care for everyone in the province. Yeah, for sure. And this has actually been something that's been brought to court before and has been discussed before. There was a trial in BC by an Indigenous man um, and also by a man from Windsor. They brought forward the exact same charter fight simply because And it's a matter of opinion, but they do find it unreasonable that just because they have a disease, they don't have the same opportunity to be able to receive an organ or even be put on a a wait list to receive the organ. And again, subsequently, in the time that they try to become sober, they wait for this new organ to come, they die. And it's, it's a part of our rights and freedoms to be able to have help and ask for help and get get help. And these doctors and hospitals are denying them this basic needs simply because they have a disease right and also because of the six-month waiting period which is really what i want to expand on now because it it directly relates not only to our jurisdiction but um it also relates globally a lot of not only in the u.s but also canada uphold this rule of the six-month waiting period uh there are reasons for that which we'll get into later and it deals with the uh, availability of livers and the ability to transplant them uh, to people who are in need of them Uh, However, uh, this six-month waiting period, um, the the controversy really began after a 2011 study uh, by the New England uh, School of Medicine. It was published in the Journal of Medicine. Uh, And what the study did, um, it was a group study uh, for a certain target group uh, of severely uh, uh, sick alcoholics uh, who had uh, acute alcoholic hepatitis. Uh, and they underwent early transplants uh, with the use of a waiver of the six-month waiting period. So the, the, the waiting period was, was taken out. They were exempt from it. Uh, and the results of this study said that there's a huge benefit to early liver, liver transplants compared to those who have to wait for the six-month period. 
and especially in severe cases with a high risk of death. Now, the case of the high risk of death is important because uh, when we look back to that Ontario case that just came out, the uh, the, the plaintiff's husband, uh, Mark uh, Selkirk, he was in a very severe state of, yeah. of, of, uh, of sickness, and he really needed that liver To the point badly. where waiting that six months wouldn't, wouldn't have helped him at all. He ended up passing away, what was it, two weeks? Two mm-hmm. weeks later. So regardless of that weight, without that liver transplant, he wouldn't have survived, which is what ended up happening. So if this six-month protocol were to be revoked, then these patients who need the livers right away and who are in severe conditions actually have a chance of li- chance at living. But without the six-month rule being revoked when it's still in place, they ended up they end up passing away before they can even get help. And that's where the just the idea of equality comes in because how does that seem fair that someone with a severe disease and a disease that often isn't chosen by them, uh, it, it envelops them, uh, how are they not able to get the help that they need? But later on uh, in 2018, seven years after that New England Journal of Medicine study, which really opened up the floodgates to this whole discussion, uh, the same doctor who we just heard from about uh, the, the alcoholic uh, hepatitis problem, uh, he commenced a study at the Johns uh, Hopkins School of Medicine, and they, what they did was sort of the same thing as the New England School of Medicine. Uh, but overall, they reported the outcomes of the first 46 patients who ever underwent liver transplant, uh, and 98% of the patients were sober at the end of the study period and survived one year or longer. And this was without the uh, six-month sobriety rule that is in effect uh, across North America, uh, not in Ontario anymore. Um, And this whole discussion on liver transplants really uh, brings us down to the availability of livers. And I think that most people would realize that the importance of having a transplant is really Uh, dependent on if there are livers to be transplanted to you. Uh, So under Ontario legislation, the Trillium Gift of Life Network is responsible for fairly rationing scarce organs from uh, dead donors based on need. And I think it's also important to mention, tying back to this recent Ontario case, that the wife was willing to donate her own liver or a portion of her liver. And I think that becomes an exception to rationing organs only Mm -hmm. if you can find someone who is on a personal basis with you or I mean doesn't matter how you find them I guess but who is willing to give you part of their any organ I don't think that should be taken away from you just because of whatever mental state you're in or disease you have so I think there's an exception to that Mm -hmm. make sure you have enough organs because if you kind of as weird as it sounds can find your own organ it shouldn't really have to apply no it shouldn't because exactly what you're saying it's not like the the wife in this in this circumstance was donating her liver to the let's say pool of liver donations that would be waiting uh, for the Trillium Gift of Life Network to you know dispense those livers properly. That liver is going straight from one person to the other on a really small agreement between two parties. And like you said, I don't understand how that's not possible. Uh, but there's a few questions that come up with this the scarcity of, of liver donations or of livers themselves. Sorry, and one of them is. With available donor organs so scarce, should alcoholics be considered for the surgery if they haven't been sober for six months? Another question, 
But if a relative or friend is willing to be a live donor, should the six month sober rule still apply? And in this so case, so this is exactly what we what we're trying to figure out ourselves yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. These are the questions we're trying to answer, and I think we both answer them in the positive that we we do believe that this one this six month should be taken out if it's a life or death situation and two if it's a donation from one person to another on that small personal agreement some kind of contract there the niche that rule should be waived regardless just because it's an agreement you've made with someone i mean talk about contracts if we're related and chris says i'll give you my organ as long as you promise not to drink just right there there's consideration Mm -hmm. there's an an offer and acceptance if i take the organ so Mm -hmm. it's how's that contract not enforceable yeah, I feel like the the health network here kind of went into a space where they weren't they shouldn't have been allowed to. Like you said, it's agreement between two parties. It's kind of like a private contract between two people. Why should they have a say? If someone's willing to give, a, especially their husband or wife, their part of their liver to to stay alive, I mean, it just seems ridiculous that they would they would no, refuse I that. Agree. And I mean, the most controversial question that that we found here throughout this this discourse is. So if the healthcare providers um, make treatment decisions based on a person's lifestyle, so in this case, alcoholism, wouldn't that same logic mean that a gang member with a gunshot should not be, should be denied life-saving surgery? Yeah, this just goes into a part of how, I think they're ranking almost, or they're, they're putting alcoholism into its own little side side shelf or side whatever, because they're saying that this is a disease that we will not recognize to treat on an equal basis Mm -hmm. of someone who does not have this disease. Mm -hmm. Whereas you're completely right. If someone, if there's a gang member who comes in with a gunshot wound, they're going to treat them just as well as if an innocent person came in with a gunshot wound for some reason, you know, like that treatment is equal. Whereas the treatment of giving organs to people with diseases diseases such as alcoholism, to me, is not equal or has not been equal in the law. And I mean, this is controversial in itself, but couldn't you argue that a gang member would be doing more damage to society than an alcoholic? But the gang member, like you said, is going to be treated with the best resources, with the best care. And I get- think it's unfortunate in playing devil's advocate, because it's what we're here to do when we talk, is also does the severity of the treatment go into consideration? Like a gunshot wound, you may just need some stitches. And I mean, not that I'm in any kind of, I have no <laughs> idea what they do for gunshot wounds. I'm no medical expert, but take it relatively as you, it's a patch up, right? Mm-hmm. Where, I mean, I know there are circumstances where you need surgery, but let's take it in. It's a patch up. You get mm-hmm. like, a, say it's a flesh wound gunshot, it's a right. patch up. Whereas you come into like a liver transplant, like that is something it's a major that's surgery. more expensive. Yeah. But like, and should that be taken into consideration or should that not? It's a human life we're talking about either mm-hmm. way, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, not depending on whether they're an alcohol, uh, alcoholic or a gang member. Exactly what you said. It's a human life. Um, so all these controversial questions are are pointing us in the direction of of the the addiction issue of alcoholism. And I found a a very interesting yet offensive, in my opinion, story. Uh, this took place in the UK. Uh, so this. Uh, this man named Eunice Booker, uh, his 26-year-old daughter died in a car crash in 2006. Now, he was quoted by the newspaper, the UK Observer, as saying, quote, 
I find it offensive that one in four of the livers donated go to alcoholics. If there are two people side by side wanting a liver and both have the right tissue match and one is an alcoholic and one isn't, there's no contest. You take the one who's not an alcoholic. They're more entitled. Now, this entitlement issue is at the heart of the controversy. And this uh, story also plays into, I don't know if we have any soccer fans listening, but uh, there's a legend by the name of George Best. He was given a liver liver transplant in 2002 after battling with alcoholism for almost all of his adult life. And after he received this liver transplant, he was seen out drinking more than once. He'd been warned repeatedly that this drinking would eventually kill him uh, even after the transplant of the new liver. He died three years later. So, yeah, and I mean, I think that's always a risk that comes with transplanting livers to alcoholics Mm -hmm. only because it is a disease. And I think that's what's important to touch on. You're right. Like alcoholism is the controversy around the discussion of alcoholism and liver transplants. We're really not talking about the scarcity of organs or the cost of a surgery or that organ donation itself. We're talking about alcoholics right to have that. And that ties into alcoholism, it would be like in capitals, mm-hmm. if you were to tie the two together. And I think a lot of people don't see alcoholism as a disease. They do see it as a choice. Yep. And I think personally, again, it's an opinion. I think it's so clear that it's a disease. It's not a choice. Nobody wants to drink themselves to sleep. Nobody wants to have to rely on something just to feel, to feel anything. Yep. And, and that, I, yeah. And that story that we just talked about, it, it shows exactly what you're talking about. There's still, although this happened in 2006, we know that today, 13 years later, there's still a predisposition for alcoholics, that it's a physical disease. I've heard on many occasions, if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, why don't you just stop? Well, there's way more to the picture than that. And it's the same thing when it comes to depression, just telling someone to be happy. But because we're staying on the topic of alcoholism, I think the public understanding of addiction which alcoholism falls under Mm -hmm. lags like as opposed to other mental disorders that we have, Mm -hmm. we, we now recognize anxiety and depression, but we don't ever really talk about addiction. Like it's not something we have all these end the stigma events or mental health Mm -hmm. events, but they're all surrounded. I mean, I know we're university students, so it is more surrounded by helping us basically get through school with the anxiety and stress of exams and work but i i don't know about you i've never been to an event that really talked about addiction Mm -hmm. i haven't either and i think it's and i mean this goes back to the gang member and gunshot and we were talking about this before we even started recording um i think it's that that aspect of if someone is depressed and they're suicidal and they cut their wrists and they're bleeding out when they get to the hospital there's no question about the donation of blood they're going to go get a, a bag of blood and help this person. They're going to give them more yep. blood. Whereas if someone comes in needing a liver transplant, what's like, what's the difference? Why don't they mm-hmm. help them? And I, and again, there, there are so many logistical arguments of, Oh, there's scarcity of liver. It's expensive, but we're talking about just why is there a controversy around alcoholics should not even get livers, regardless if they were sober for six months or it's their turn on their waiting list. That's what we're, I think that's what our, our argument is. is mm-hmm. Why is this, why is this even a topic to discuss about? Yeah, because somehow they're at fault for being like becoming alcoholics, right? So 
a good way of putting it is that almost everyone drinks or smokes at some point in their lives. But the majority of people, they don't develop problems. And it seems this makes it harder for people to understand that others do, right? Only a small portion of society becomes addicted. Um, and it's very unfortunate that they do, whether it be drugs or alcohol. Uh, but like you said, we're, we're still treating them differently. We're still lagging behind a little bit when it comes to addiction, especially alcoholism. And you can see this through all of the litigation and all of the controversy between or behind the alcoholism and liver transplant stories. And it all falls down to equity. And especially because we have been recognizing, we have, we do recognize mental illnesses and we have been helping with that stigma, but there's no, I don't see other than like AA meetings or personal one-on-one counseling, there isn't much to help with alcoholism as opposed to if you have anxiety, you can get more time on a test. Mm -hmm. If you need to sit in a private room for an exam, you can do that. But what happens when you miss school for a week because you were drinking and couldn't help it? Like, is there, and I mean, I don't know, so I can't say there isn't, but I don't know of any remedies for that. Like, does, does, can the school help you with that? Or can, for at school, if you're an adult, can your job help you with that? So like depression and other mental illnesses, addiction is a very real medical disorder that's rooted in brain changes. So it's, it's something you can't control. Mm -hmm. And I don't think many people realize that. I think they see someone pour a drink, pick up a glass and drink it. And it's all willful. Like Mm -hmm. everything you've done is because you wanted to. And I don't think that's true. And what, just like you said, if you were to miss class or miss work for a week, if you were to come in and your boss was to say, why were you gone for a week? And you said, well, I was, I was drinking. If you were to say you were drinking, as opposed to, I was having severe anxiety. This is not to downplay the severity of anxiety whatsoever. Uh, or to overplay the, the severity on top of, of anxiety with alcohol disorders. But we know that, that that response from your boss saying, oh, I was drinking versus, oh, I was having panic attacks or I was suffering from severe anxiety this week would be much different. Absolutely. And I think that's something that as a general population, we need to work on. We've done a very good job of helping erase that stigma around mental health relating to depression and anxiety but I think we need to start kind of moving it towards addiction and problems that we just don't see as much or Mm -hmm. aren't as common because they're there and they're real and they need help and they need our voices when it comes to situations like these plaintiffs who are fighting for their charter rights. That's right and I'm glad very good to see that the the judge in this case took the approach that we're seeing here um, and applied the equality rights and stated that no matter what, if you're an alcoholic or you're addicted to some other type of, of drug, you need to be treated the same as someone who isn't. And especially when that comes to life-saving procedures like liver transplants. Uh, I mean, all the evidence we presented so far is in favor of, of uh, Mrs. Selkirk and her ability to come forward to the courts. Uh, and I hope that um, this happens in other provinces and other jurisdictions, uh, even wider across uh, the United States and the world. Um, but it, again, it's a, it's a problem that we need to work on, that society needs to, to work on, especially in terms of, of alcohol uh, dependency and alcohol addiction. Uh, but I know I, I enjoyed having this talk about it. It really opens your mind. Yeah, you and know? it really makes you think, and hopefully it makes you think a little bit if you're listening as well, just the fact that there are problems that aren't talked about or necessarily out there for you to see. You kind of have to research for it and be interested in it. But now that you've heard about it, we hope that you have an opinion on it Mm -hmm. and 
you never know. Something like this might become a very big fight in our charter and in Canada as a whole um, since it has been in BC and Ontario. And when it does and if it does come up, it's now something you can take a stand for, whether it's the approach that we've taken or a different approach. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. And mm-hmm. what we've talked about is our opinion and our views on a case that's happened. Right. You're right. We could see this more, uh, especially in the future, if our mental health institutions and infrastructure continues to lag behind what's actually happening in our society. I, I really think you're right. We could see this, especially in the context of perhaps the Supreme Court of Canada. Yeah, so we'll see. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this podcast. Uh, We really appreciate you guys coming in to listen. We hope that this was a really thought-provoking topic for you guys. It was for us, and we thoroughly enjoyed talking about it. If you guys have any questions, comments, or even concerns about this podcast or any of our previous podcasts, please, uh, we'd love to hear from you guys, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook. Shoot us a message. Um, We're actually looking to get some students on uh, later on in the year, I know November will be busy for most of us, but uh, stay tuned. We'd love to have some, some of you guys on. Take care.